Howdy, Traveler. If you're here, please be advised there are spoilers for The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear, two excellent books by Mr. Patrick Rothfuss. But I am not affiliated, in any way, with Mr. Rothfuss or with his publisher, Daw Books. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, listeners, friends, enemies. Taylor Swift might be listening to this. Yes, she's my enemy, I guess. That's an entirely different subject. Welcome to Entirely the Right Sort of Podcast. My name is RJ, which stands for really a jackass. Oh, no, it's really a jackass. I hope everybody's doing well. It is a little overcast this morning as I record this. I got my morning voice on, so um, maybe when I do a little bit of reading from Wise Man's Fear later, I will be able to capture Quoth's legendary baritone. Uh, Hopefully you listened to last week's podcast where I had Will and Phoenix on to talk about Ari. It was a really good time. It was about an hour, which is longer than I usually run. But when you got three people chit-chatting about one of the more enchanting characters, um, you know, we tended to chat for a little bit. So hopefully you enjoyed that. And if you haven't listened to it, hopefully it brings you some joy, some clarity, or some confusion. I have another recording set up with another group from a King Killer Chronicle podcast, so look forward to that soon. But today it's just me recording in my back room. And today I think I foreshadowed this a little bit, but in this episode I want to talk about two important parts of the story who are referred to as female, but who are not people. I'm talking about Folly and Cesora, two swords, One we meet at the very beginning of Name of the Wind in the Frame, and one we meet close to the end of Wise Man's Fear in Ademre. Folly, of course, is the word burned into the dark Roa wood that hangs up behind the bar in the Waystone, and I assume it is the name of the sword. Caesura is named Caesura by the Adem, perhaps Caesera. Um, I'm going with the Nick Podell pronunciation just because it would throw me off not to. But Quoth has changed her name because he thinks it fits better. I'm going to combine these two for my first segment, where I list seven things we know about each character, because we don't know a ton of information about Folly in particular. So here we go. Number one. Folly shines a dull gray white with a dark black handle, and is said to be very old, even though it looks new. Number two. Folly is said to reflect some light, quote, dark, dull, sorry, burnished, and ages old. So it appears to take the fresh morning light in the Waystone Inn and reflect it back differently. Number three, Folly does not have what people in Navarre would consider a familiar shape. It, quote, looked as if an alchemist had distilled a dozen swords, and when the crucible was cooled, this was lying in the bottom, a sword in its pure form. It was slender and graceful. It was deadly as a sharp stone beneath swift water. 
Number four, Caesura is also very old. According to its atos, it was present at the Black of Drasantor, which we know to be, I believe, a battle during the Creation War long ago. Caesura was once also owned by Carceret's mother. Number five, Caesura has a blade of burnished gray and has a slightly extended hand guard. Number six, a Caesura is what Sim calls the breath he takes at the end of every line of Eld Bintic poetry. Quoth recalls this when renaming the sword and says it sounds like the breaking of a line when he slides it back into the sheath. The smith's prentice, Aaron, in the frame story, calls it Kaysera, the poet killer. And number seven, Quoth tells Chronicler and Wise Man's Fear that Folly and Caesora are not the same sword. Now, in preparing to record this and thinking about female characters in the books, I wanted to ask why these two particular swords might have been given feminine pronouns. As far as I recall, they're the only weapons named in the books, and thus the only ones referred to as male or female. With the Adem sword Caesura, or Caesura, I think this makes sense. The Adem view women as better fighters than men and have a matriarchal society. With this logic, maybe every Adem sword is female. With Folly, there's a bit more mystery there. Perhaps it is just custom in the Four Corners and all of Temerant to refer to swords as women, much like sailors back in the day called many ships with feminine pronouns, and I believe many still do to this day. If we want to put a little tinfoil hat on, perhaps Folly, who Quoth says is a lady, was once a woman whose soul or essence was somehow distilled into the blade. Or, if it's an Adem sword and they always use feminine pronouns, that could be it too. In history and in fiction, there are traditions of naming weapons and or assigning characteristics to them, or of weapons being imbued with a person or creature's soul. I can recall a sword from a Mercedes Lackey series, a blade called Need, was made by a woman who bound her soul to the sword and gave it a purpose to always protect women who needed help. And fans of the author Walter Moores, or maybe the German pronunciation, because he's German, would be Walter Moors. Sorry, Germany. We'll recall uh, the short sword Dandelion from the book Rumo and His Miraculous Adventures, a quite excellent book, whose blade has at least one creature's soul bound to it. I'm not going to spoil that if you go read Rumo. Other weapons in fantasy or in real life are named but not given pronouns, such as in Tolkien's works, the swords Sting and Anduriel are not to my knowledge ever called he or she, and of course think of King Arthur's Excalibur, Uh, Arthur may or may not have existed, so we'll uh, leave that to the historians. So, like many things in the Kingkiller Chronicle, there is more than one possible answer to this question. So we are, like I said, introduced to the sword called Folly, or maybe not called Folly, but I'm going with the assumption that that is its name. Uh, We meet it first in Name of the Wind after Quoth commissions a dark piece of wood, a hanging board to mount it on. And Bast goes to get it 
from where he's keeping it in his room under his bed, which I think um, indicates that and some of the things Bass says indicate that maybe he's afraid of it or that he doesn't think they should be showing it. But when Bast is carrying it down from his room, Coates says, Careful, Bast, you're carrying a lady there, not swinging some wench at a barn dance. So we only get one line about both Folly and Cesora where they're mentioned as female characters or female components in this world. And uh, that's why I'm including them. So I've believed for a while that Folly may be actually Cinder's sword. Because we do get a description of Cinder's sword in the name of the wind. Of course, that would mean Quoth has tussled with Cinder by the frame story, which I think is entirely possible um, because Cathay kind of sets him on the path of chasing Cinder even a little more when Cathay makes the comments about Cinder is the one you want and meeting him again is a twice in a lifetime opportunity. I think it's also possible that Miss Folly, or Ms. Folly, Mrs. Folly, is an 8M sword. And it could be possible as well that Quoth made it, that he shaped it himself either from scratch, I guess. I guess you can make a sword from scratch. Or that he reformed Sesora, thus making his statement to Chronicler that Folly and Sesora are not the same. Uh, not a complete lie. Let's revisit how Cinder's sword is described in the chapter of Name of the Wind where Quoth's parents are tragically cut down by the Chandran. The sword is pale and elegant. It cuts the air with a brittle sound and does not reflect the light of the fire or the setting sun, the same as Cinder's eyes do not reflect these. When Cinder sheathes his sword, it, quote, has the sound of a tree cracking under the weight of winter ice. So there is a little discrepancy with Cinder's sword and how Folly is described, because there is some evidence Folly reflects some light, the morning light in the waystone, and Cinder's sword is said not to reflect any light. Um, admittedly, I had forgotten the note about Folly reflecting some light and shining against the dark Roa wood until I went back and dug through Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear. Folly is not fully described as pale as Cinder's sword is, but it is gray-white, which speaks to me as being pretty pale. And Cinder's sword is elegant, while Folly is slender and graceful. So, again, words that aren't exactly synonyms, but I think are close. We do not hear of Cinder's sword having a particular sheath. Uh, Folly has a black sheath and a black handle. Don't forget that Abanthi tells Quoth to be wary of Folly which is just a very interesting thing to write in a letter, especially after um, he writes, remember your father's song, be wary of folly. This could be in the rhetorical sense, um, could just be some life advice. It could be based on the story of Lanray and Lanray's folly. This seems like possibly uh, it's likely considering again, what Abanthi says right before about remembering your father's song, or it's also possible that somehow 
Ben suspects the Chandrian are coming for the troop, and he knows Cinder's sword is named Folly. Personally, I don't know how likely this is, but Ben does seem to know a bit about the Chandrian and their secret names. Now, I can't believe I just remembered this, but when I was a young girl, we had a cat named Folly. She was the fourth cat that we had at my parents' house. We got her when I was about five or six, and my dad said it was a folly to have four cats, so that's that. Now, in the Kingkiller Chronicle, which we're talking about, not talking about my cats, although I could do a podcast on the cats I've had in my life, there are other instances of that word being used other than in Abanthe's note and in descriptions of the sword. Um, during the story of Savian and Aelowen, after Quoth sings the lay of Sir Savian, he says, I cried for Sir Savian and Aelowen, for love lost and found and lost again, at cruel fate and man's folly. Also in the story of Lanre, we hear, Selitos was wise. He understood how grief can twist a heart, how passions drive good men to folly. And in the frame narrative, at least twice that I've found, Quoth says folly. When he's talking to Chronicler and Bast, he says, if there is one thing I will not abide, it is the folly of a willful pride. And a little later, Quoth says himself, his story has music and magic, triumph and folly. All of those instances are in Name of the Wind, but in The Wise Man's Fear also, when Quoth is in the Fae, the chapter where he meets the Cathaya, he says, Pride and folly, they go together like two tightly grasping hands. And in the last, I suppose, narrative chapter of Quoth's Young Life in Wise Man's Fear, I believe chapter 150 is called Folly, about Hem's folly. Every toast they drank was to Hem's folly. So Pat definitely has sprinkled, as I said, more instances of this word in, I think, cleverly to remind us that um, folly is something that occurs to many of us. I know I have done many fallacious, question mark, things in my life, and Quoth certainly has too, but so have many of the heroes slash villains that we'd hear about in this story. Let's listen to a clip. This is from chapter three of Name of the Wind, Wood and Word. Graham left a handful of iron nails and bid the innkeeper good day. Coat remained at the bar, idly running his hands over the wood and the word. Before too long, Bast came out of the kitchen and looked over his teacher's shoulder. There was a long moment of silence, like a tribute given to the dead. Eventually, Bast spoke up. May I ask a question, Reshi? Coat smiled gently. Always, Bast. A troublesome question? Those tend to be the only worthwhile kind. They remained staring at the object on the bar for another silent moment, as if trying to commit it to memory. Folly. Bast struggled for a moment, opening his mouth, then closing it with a frustrated look, then repeating the process. Out with it, Coat said finally. What were you thinking? Bass said with an odd mixture of confusion and concern. Coat was a long while in answering. I tend to think too much, Bast. 
My greatest successes came from decisions I made when I stopped thinking and simply did what felt right, even if there was no good explanation for what I did. He smiled wistfully. Even if there were very good reasons for me not to do what I did. Bast ran a hand along the side of his face. So you're trying to avoid second-guessing yourself? Coat hesitated. You could say that, he admitted. I could say that, Reshi, Bast said smugly. You, on the other hand, would complicate things needlessly. Coat shrugged and turned his eyes back to the mounting board. Nothing to do but find a place for it, I suppose. Out here? Bast's expression was horrified. Coat grinned wickedly, a measure of vitality coming back into his face. Of course, he said, seeming to savor Bast's reaction. He looked speculatively at the walls and pursed his lips. Where did you put it, anyway? In my room, Bast admitted. Under my bed. Coat nodded distractedly, still looking at the walls. Go get it, then. He made a small shooing gesture with one hand, and Bast hurried off, looking unhappy. So, we know folly is a strange-looking weapon, uh, sitting up there on the dark row of wood with the word. Aaron comments that Quoth doesn't reach for it when the possessed soldier comes into the Waystone. Aaron, of course, the one who eventually drives the demon out of the sky slash kills him. So why hang this sword up in your inn in the first place? Kvoth doesn't really explain himself to Bast or Chronicler or Graham or us, certainly the readers. I think that if it is or was Cinder's sword, um, maybe Kvoth is trying to lure the Chandrian. He certainly is not afraid to say their names. Um, it's also possible that when he got this sword, it was the climactic event of whatever downfall, whatever war he started, maybe the sword of the king he killed, we're not quite sure. So maybe putting Folly up there as a reminder to himself of what happened, of what he's done. Perhaps the event in which he receives Folly is the one that Chronicler hears about when Quoth gets his heart's desire and is forced to trick a demon to get it, but has to fight an angel to keep it. Or maybe, I don't really, I don't really know. I'm leaning toward the idea that it's some sort of trap or lure for the Chandrian and Quoth is getting ready to face off with someone it would be interesting if somehow he got it away from Cinder and Cinder is still alive, but I'm not quite sure about that. Again, that's that's operating off the assumption that this is Cinder's sword. Um, I think Cinder is going to be the one Quoth is most likely to tussle with, one, because of Cathay's remarks that Cinder is the one he wants, and two, because there are so many little clues that Cinder is Dennis' patron or is connected to Dennis' patron. And of course, Quoth swears on his good right hand, I believe, that he's never going to uncover Dennis' patron. So if he reneges on that, reneges on that promise, it could be part of the reason why he's lost some movement in his hands because he broke that promise. I 
am of the opinion that Quoth is going to tussle with Cinder before the frame narrative begins. So I'm thinking that this is Cinder's sword, like I've said. I think it's also possible that it's an Adem sword, um, because their swords are also very old. They have a lot of history, and Quoth would theoretically not have Cesora in the frame, because he made arrangements for it to return to Hare on his death, and we know that everyone believes he's dead. So unless he struck a deal with the Adem, or if the Adem know he's still alive, uh, he would have returned Cesora. So that's that. Speaking of Cesora, this is from The Wise Man's Sphere, chapter 125, Cesora. Next came Finnel of the clear and shining eye, I repeated attentively, much beloved of Dulcin. She herself slew two Daruna, then was killed by Gremen at the Drassen Tor. I cleared my throat before Magwin could recite another passage. If I may ask, I said, how many have carried Caesura over the years? Caesura, she corrected me sharply. Do not presume to meddle with her name. It means to break, to catch, and to fly. I looked down at the sheathed sword across my lap. I felt the weight of it, the chill of the metal under my fingers. A small sliver of the smooth gray blade was visible above the top of the sheath. How can I say this so you can understand? Cesara was a fine name. It was thin and bright and dangerous. It fit the sword like a glove fits a hand. But it wasn't the perfect name. The sword's name was Cesura. This sword was the jarring break in a line of perfect verse. It was the broken breath. It was smooth and swift and sharp and deadly. The name didn't fit like a glove. It fit like skin. More than that, it was bone and muscle and movement. Those things are the hand. And Cesura was the sword. It was both the name and the thing itself. I can't tell you how I knew this, but I knew it. Besides, if I was to be a namer, I decided I could damn well choose the name of my own sword. Cesura is old. Very old, full of memory and anger, but probably not the Adam anger. That's a little Legolas Two Towers movie reference, if uh, you didn't pick up on that one. I hope I did Orlando Bloom justice. In the ATAS, as I mentioned, we learned Cesora was carried at the Drossen Tor. Earlier, I think I said it was at the Black of Drossentor or the battle, but checking the book again, it's not explicitly stated that it was at this battle. So I'm going to fact check myself on that one. I think we can assume Drossentor is a place or at least a landmark. Scarpy says the Black of Drossentor was the largest and most terrible battle of the Creation War and that more people died there than are currently living in Temerant. This is the battle we learn where Lanray is killed and then brought back to life by Lyra. Regardless of whether Cesora's 
owner Finol was at this battle or not, Foth assesses that Caesora has been around for at least 2,000 years. This also means the Adem have been around for that long, and possibly longer, since Shayan tells him the story of Wraith and Aeth, who existed before Ademre. I think it's also important to note how the Adem react when Caesora chooses Quoth. The sword chooses the user, Mr. Allard and Son. Man, I'm full of bad accents tonight. Even before he takes a sword in his hand, Vashet, quote, seemed to age ten years after she pulls it off the wall. When she tells Shayan that Sesora is the sword for him, Quoth comments that, quote, For the first time since I'd known my teacher, it was as if all the laughing had been pressed out of her. Shayan comments that Vashet did well to choose the sword and adds that it may offset Quoth's name. When Vashet speaks the sword's name as Cicera, it is, quote, as if it were the name of God. Magwin laughs, almost cackles, when Vashet says what sword he has chosen, but doesn't make any other comment. As I mentioned in the Vashet podcast, she also seems to find Quoth's Adem name Maedra strange or unsettling, but it's nothing quite compared to the reaction she has here or the reaction when he wants to talk about the Chandrian. This, of course, leaves me, and, and maybe you, to wonder why. It could be for the seemingly simple reason that Carceret's mother last owned this sword, and Bachet knows how much Carceret dislikes Foth and wants to beat his pretty face in. But I wonder if there's a deeper reason. If Sesora somehow brings bad luck to the owner, or was once owned by someone who did terrible things, or at least whose owners are known to operate outside of the Lithani. Speaking of the Lithani, I can't help but wonder if Quoth's first true major axe with Caesura will foreshadow the rest of the sword's life with him. After he kills the false Edimaru troop, Quoth is walking with Elian Kryn and meditates on a conversation he has with Vashet. What is the heart of the Lithani? I asked Vashet. Success and right action. Which is the more important, success or rightness? They are the same. If you act rightly, success follows. But others may succeed by doing wrong things, I pointed out. Wrong things never lead to success, Vashet said firmly. If a man acts wrongly and succeeds, that is not the way. Without the Lithani, there is no true success. This is definitely important for Quoth and for us to reflect on, as... While he's ruminating on this, he has just taken it upon himself to murder a bunch of people with his new sword after poisoning them, a sword that he was taught is not expressly for killing, and using a form of martial art with the sword that is for control, not for winning. Now, I am not saying that these people did not deserve some kind of punishment. They killed a troop of Edimaru, robbed a town, kidnapped two girls, and were doing unspeakable things to them. They are clearly not good people. The question here is, was Quoth's action of the Lithani? Was killing and poisoning them success and right action, or did he use Sesora to a purpose outside of the proper path? I'm going to take the easy way out here and give the answer. The Lithani is not an easy thing to understand. There are many hints in the books that point us to the king killed being Roderick Calanthus, 
beginning with the first time we hear the words Sesora and Wise Man's Fear. Sim tells us it is the break in the line at the end of Eldvintic poetry. Another hint is the death of the red and gold Sipquicks, who are called Calanthus in Eldvintic. Then at the cafe, we see one crimson and gold butterfly until the cafe kills it and there are no red ones left. I think we can infer red and yellow are the colors of the Calanthus line. I couldn't find if we were told this specifically somewhere. So with red and yellow Sipquicks dying, the crimson and gold butterfly dying and being the last of its kind, and Quoth having a sword that is named the break in a line of perfect verse in Alventic, that connects the dots for me that Calanthus is probably the killed king. Add that to the fact that Rothfuss confirmed in a Tor.com interview that Quoth visits the royal city of Rhaenyra in Book 3. And remember, Alvaron said King Roderick's approval of men wearing swords in his court will bring him to grief in time. Let's just say it seems fairly solid. But we also have the question of Aaron calling the sword Kaysera, the poet killer. And we hear from a man who visits the Waystone that Kvoth killed someone in Imre and shattered the cobblestones to the point where they can no longer be mended. It seems unlikely to me that Roderick Calanthus would go to Imre unless for some reason he comes there to go after Kvoth. We also don't have any indication yet that the King of Ventus is a poet. This indicates to me either Kvoth kills more than one significant person or that the clues have misled us or misled me and Kvoth kills someone who is both a poet and a king. I got into this in a previous podcast, so I ain't going to go over the details again, but Quoth, with Sesora at his side, has been set on a path that will have massive consequences for his world and possibly in the Feyen realm. As I noted before, we don't get a mention of Sesora in the frame, I don't think, except when Quoth tells Chronicler that Folly is not the same sword. We know Quoth would have made arrangements for Sesora to be returned to Hert upon his death, as is the way with any Adem sword, and he's thought to be dead in the frame narrative. So theoretically, he would not have Sesora anymore unless he is now hiding it in his thrice locked chest or somehow reformed Sesora into the sword called Folly. For now, we will just ponder the truth behind these mysteries, or as Vachette would say, focus on the joy in my heart, the prosperity of the school, and understanding Lilithani. If I have time left after that, I will put it toward worrying on the truth. Just a little note or two to wrap up. I wanted to say a huge thank you to Dallas of the Name of the Podcast podcast, who wrote me my first Apple podcast review. Dallas says, My new favorite podcast. RJ packs in a ton of juicy details and analysis into bite-sized episodes. She doesn't talk to hear herself talk. She uses individual character profiles as a segue into deeper meta-slash-plot speculation, but doesn't skimp on either. Not to mention, I love the seven things to start. Keeping in with the spirit of this universe, we have all grown to love so dearly. Dallas, thank you so much. Um, The whole KKC podcast and fan community has been so cool and so welcoming. Um, I feel like I'm a little fish in, in a big pond right now. 
Um, but I'm having a good time and I'm really grateful for everyone's encouragement and kind notes. And excuse me while I push podcast cat Bast off my lap. Sorry, Bast. Um, if you want to find me and chit chat with me, you can get at me on Facebook and on Twitter at ETRSOP. And if you want to write me an email, I'm at ETRSOP at gmail.com. Maybe send me a letter. Let me know how I'm doing if you want to. And um, maybe I'll read out your email on the air if it's a good one. So make it a good one. I'm just kidding. Any email would make me happy. So until next time, y'all, may all your stories be glad ones and your roads be smooth and short.